Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. We're going to do a little bit of Torah study together. It's only on one verse of the Parsha. So if you had a chance to print out the source sheet, great. If you didn't, you're welcome to have a Tanakh or Netz Chaim out in front of you. And you can find the one verse that we're talking about uh, in Breshit in Genesis chapter 29, verse 11. That's the verse that we're going to talk about. So... uh, As I mentioned earlier, we are deep into the stories of our matriarchs and patriarchs. We move very quickly through these stories uh, and then linger for a really long time. Who gets the longest narrative among all of our patriarchs and even their children? Three generations, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Who gets the longest narrative by sort of words and chapters? You're, you're welcome to unmute yourselves or indicate that you'd like to be unmuted and then you can participate. I think Tamar has an idea. You're welcome to unmute so that you can share it. I'm not sure. I would think Yaakov. Yeah. And from Yaakov, who among Yaakov's children gets the longest narrative? It's really, it's Yosef, right? Yosef, Yosef gets, and I see Marlise was, you're, you're on with that. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph, your team, Joseph, agreed. Yosef, which is absolutely why Andrew Lloyd Webber writes a musical, right? Because there's a lot of material there. I'm, I, I'm with him. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ Superstar also getting a musical, an entire Second Testament in his name. So, all, all, all right. Um, but Yosef, he gets a great, um, he, he gets a great long narrative later on. Everyone else moves pretty darn quickly. And there's a character, there's a figure who's important to the Yosef story and to Yosef's life, to whom we're introduced here. But she's not around very long in the narrative, though she leaves a big imprint. And of course, that's the love of his life, right? Rachel. There's a wonderful narrative that's going to follow. It involves deception, right, by Lavan. And it also involves some rivalry by the sisters, right? And what is it rivalry about when we get there? What's the rivalry? Joseph and his brothers, you say? The rivalry between the sisters, Rachel and Leah, backing up to their step. What's the rivalry when we get to Rachel and Leah? We'll have children. Right, exactly. Exactly. It's a rivalry over fertility. And it's it's really fertility issues, right? Because Leah is like, listen, I'm the old, I'm supposed to be make it the baby it's not happening for me what can we do it's a it's a bit of a rivalry but it's also a bit of helping each other some sister wiving literally um it's it's quite intense before we ever get there we get Yaakov meeting Rachel we get Yaakov meeting Rachel and there's this wonderful moment in which Yaakov does a thing that he loves to do and the reason I brought up Yosef is this comes up in the Yosef narrative as well this is where we're at Brayshi 29 verse 11 Telling you, it's very dark where I am. Hang on. Vaishak Yaakov the Rachel. So Jacob kisses Rachel, joining where being le, right? Joining, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Pronoun? Le. No, not pronoun. Someone I'm looking for prefix. That was what I was looking for. Vaishak Yaakov the Rachel. And Jacob kisses Rachel when he falls in love with her in this beautiful scene, which we aren't going to get into. Vaisa et kolo. And what's Yisa? What does Yisa mean? What's Lasait? 
Yeah, to lift up. I saw that tomorrow. That's great. Yeah, exactly. It's like to lift up. So, Vaisa et Kolo, and he lifted his voice. Okay, tenses are all over the place in, in biblical grammar. So don't worry about, you know, he lifts, he lifted. Vayisa et kolo, vayefk. Beautiful. And a, another beautiful grammatical note, because we're ending in the way that we do, we end with actually a dagesh in that final chaf. So vayefk, which is a beautiful onomatopoeia, because what happens when we vayefk, when we weep, our voices catch in our throats. So vayefk is one of my favorite bereshit words, right? Because our voices catch in our throat. Vayisa et kolo vayevk. So Yaakov's a weeper. You're going to get to know this about him all throughout bereshit. He's a big fan of weeping. And inquiring rabbinic minds want to know, why is he weeping here? Before we get into any of the commentaries, Yaakov is meeting this woman who is immediately the love of his life. The woman of his dreams. So why is he weeping? Why does he kiss her and then lift his voice and cry? What do you think? With joy. With joy. Great. Say more, Tamar. What joy? What kind of joy? The joy of meeting of meeting his beloved. I mean, I... Great. The joy of meeting his beloved. Beautiful. Gary and Marlies, what do you think? Well, it's similar. I mean, it's basically, he... There, there, there's that tension where am I going to find the right person? And finally, he finds this person who he thinks and assumes, and correctly though, so that she's uh, going to be be his wife and take all the pressure, a lot of pressures off of him. Right. Um, oh, cool. Also, isn't uh, isn't she's rel- They're related, also. They're also related. So it's like he's left his family home, and then he's found more family too. Right. He's left his family home and he's found more family. Marlies, we are going to get there for sure. We are, that's going to be mentioned in one of our commentaries as well. You're right. He's found Hevra. He's found his people. He's found his mishpacha. It's great. It's great that he's come across them again. And I want to be clear here that there's nothing in the text itself, in the shot, in the basic meaning of the text, nor anything in the rabbinic commentaries that we're going to explore that seems to be uncomfortable with his weeping. So the reason I'm getting into this is not because, and this could be its whole own shiur, uh, its whole own class, it's not because it's uncomfortable for a man to weep in the Torah. Right? Men weep in the Torah, and that's deserving of his whole own uh, sort of exploration, which is, you know, why these figures weep and weep openly and emotional expression seems to be a very different thing. It's been several thousand years, so the emotional valence of that weeping might be different and the way that men were anticip- you know, expected to act culturally and in their time just different. So it doesn't seem to be uncomfortable with the weeping, for sure. There's nothing in the verse to tell us it's uncomfortable, nor do these commentaries seem to think that there's a problem with Yaakov weeping. They just want to know why. So I want us to go first to the Rashi on this, our 11th century uh, sort of school of Rashi of thinking. And I want us to take a look at this for a minute. I'll read the beginning in Hebrew, and then I'll go to the English a bit in it because it gets a little complex. Because he he foresaw in the Holy Spirit that she was literally not going to be entered with him into the grave. 
So let me set the scene for you for a second, according to Rashi's commentary, which he's probably pulling from the Midrash in Genesis Rabbah, because that's the note that I have. A lot of Rashi's commentary come from pretty ancient collections of Midrash of stories. He's imagining that in that moment, he has a flash of his future. And he sees Rachel's his, and he's going to have a family, but they're not going to be buried together. How do we feel about this? We buying it? Are we interested in this? We think it's interesting that people want to call on on this in that moment, that Rashi wants this to be the reason? I'm fascinated by this this foresight uh, that we're imagining him having. We're going to get to a really wonderful commentary on this commentary call that a super commentary. I'm not making up that term. That's actually what we call it. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Hold that thought, says Rashi. Devar acher. This is the thing that he says. Here's another take on it. He's not crying because that other thing I mentioned. Maybe he's crying because he's... What are yadaim rekaniot? What's rek? The boar, the pit that Yosef was thrown into, was rake. Remember that? This is, again, a very Genesis word. Wait, wait. Empty hand. Rake is empty. Good. It's empty. So empty-handed. He comes empty-handed. Why is he feeling bad about that? I'm not going to get deep into the Hebrew here because it would take too long to pick apart. I'm, I'm already down on my minutes. But basically, he he's down because he's empty-handed and he's remembering the story that we just read in last week's Parsha, which... I'm guessing that when Rashi is cobbling this together, he has fresh in mind from last week's Parsha as well, right? That uh, who, who was it but Eliezer, the servant, who was able to offer to Rivka all this jewelry, all this great stuff. And he's like, I didn't bring the ring. <laughs> you know, I, I forgot the good stuff. Uh, and not only I didn't bring the ring, but I don't have something to offer, which would have been critical for a bride price, right? That would have been the... The, the whole like arrangement and situation. So maybe he's weeping because he's empty handed. Okay. I want you, if you have, if you printed or are looking at the, um, the uh, source sheet that I printed out, I want you to look at this great super commentary by the Sif de Chachamim, this commentary on this. They, he does not like either of these explanations. And I love the way he goes about shooting down these explanations. Okay, it's the last commentary on here. And here it is. All right. So he says, So he says, I'm going to talk to you about Rashi's idea, this idea from Genesis Rabbah, that uh, that he foresaw that they weren't going to be buried together. Okay. So he says, well, hi, Tama. Um, Kasha, there, there's, there's a problem with this commentary. Because what and what's the problem does he say? If Rachel would ask him, why are you crying? So Sifte Chachamim thinks that perhaps she would have asked, right? Not has a problem with him weeping, but perhaps you can imagine in this kissing moment and then he starts to cry and Rachel asks him, why are you crying? And he says, surely, okay, if she were a shehaita homeret lo, lama ata boche bevadailo he's kira la mitata. He's not going to say, I'm crying because I know we're going to be together forever, but then when we die, we're not going to be buried together, <laughs> right? He says, no way. That can't be it. He must have been crying for a reason that he would have been able to explain to Rachel. If we had more time, I'd get into this more deeply, but I got to say, I don't buy that 
because I think it's possible for us to cry for all sorts of inappropriate reasons, right? I think that when people are are flooded with hormonal and deep, passionate emotional responses, it's absolutely possible for them to be weeping for reasons that then they would need an alternative explanation for, right? Because it's uncomfortable. And I want to go to the next one. He says, and by the way, Rashi brings a second explanation. Remember, we, we just read it. And with the second question, there arises another question, right? How could a righteous person like this why would such a righteous person as as uh, Yaakov, our one of our patriarchal heroes, why would he weep over not over being empty-handed? There's no reason for him to weep over being empty-handed. He knows there's not such a big deal as being empty-handed. Uh, if I were writing the super commentary, I would say he's probably crying for the first reason. But when Rachel asks, that's a great answer, right? Wouldn't that be a great answer? Like, he's really thinking about this terrible, morbid thing. But when she asks, he says, I'm crying because I wish I could give you gold and jewelry and I just came empty handed. I hope you'll love me anyway. I really love the drama of these stories. That's what that's what I think. And that's what I hope. Sifte Chachamim, though, does not like either explanation because he imagines on the second one, the Yaakov, he's a tzaddik. He knows that he doesn't need to have something with him for him to be full of of goodness that he can offer Rachel. That's beautiful in its own way. Let's go back to two more commentaries before we end. Sforno, our Italian friend. Okay, so he says, Vaisad kolo vayefk, that's his opening hook. He says, on, on the piece of this verse that says that he lifted his voice and wept, al shelo zecha rav, on that which he didn't merit to marry her in his youth. And he goes further. And by now, they would have had grown children. Unpack that for me for a second. How do you say that in layman speak? Why is he crying according to Swarno? Yeah, Tamar. Because um, so many years were wasted when they could have been together. So many years were wasted when they could have been together. Is that where you're going to say, Marlies and Gary? So many years were wasted. I have had the merit of marrying uh, people at a much older age. In this case, it happened to be a second marriage for both of them. One had been widowed, the other uh, a long time separated from their previous spouse. But even had they not been, it would have been true for them. It was true for them underneath the chuppah that mixed in with the joy that they were getting married in their 60s at the time was this sadness that they hadn't known each other longer. So I've met those people and that's real. And I imagine that was really real for Yaakov. Let's not talk about how old Rachel probably was when this was happening. So that's kind of a, you know, if he imagines that he had met her earlier, that's a kind of a problem. Um, but uh, if we set aside her youth, I, I love this. I love this idea that you can be sad over the fact that you wish you had found something sooner. And I'm not talking about, you know, Rabbi Klickfeld's dessert pumpkin hummus or whatever it is. You know, although I think we can believe, I think objects can have that same thing too. You know, somebody's going to tell him I threw a jab at that in here. But, you know, it's not, it's not just about um, people. I actually think it can be places and things too, right? I think people can say that about Judaism. 
I know people who, and I don't ascribe this to every person who's chosen Judaism, but I can imagine that there are many people, um, based on the conversations I've had at Beit Dean with people converting to Judaism with the panel of rabbis, uh, that there are people who wish that they had joined the tribe even sooner in their life, because had they, or had they been born as such, then they would have been uh, you know, naturalized to other experiences in their life or had them sooner. So I, I do think it's possible to feel it about things and places, And I think this is very specific to a human connection emotion in that moment. I want to look at one more commentary. It's the Redak, Vayevk. And this one goes to Marlise's comment at the beginning. Spoiler alert, I still think Sforno's the best, but this one's a nice one too before we end. So going to the Hebrew, and it, Vayevk, Zohi, Bechiyah Shel Simcha. So this goes to what Tamar and to what the Backrocks were saying earlier. This is a Bechiyah Simcha, a, or Shel, Shel Simcha, does he say? Shel Simcha. This is a, a cry of joy. Why is it a cry of joy? This is an emotional cup running over. I love that translation of it because it's so hard for people to find their relatives after some time and for him to have had this reunion this is a this is about the fact you know friends this is just how love works in the bible right people are actually looking for someone from their tribe we think of that in a similar but very different way today right we we don't marry from our tribe but we marry from our tribe so he's found his tribe he's found his people and he's thrilled and i want to say like points to radak on this one because I think that it connects beautifully to another moment, which I should have put on the actual paper, but I didn't. And now you can thumb through your tznachim when I'm uh, when we move on to Mariv. But when else did I mention that Yaakov weeps? He weeps actually several times. It's great. But when does he weep that also captures this moment? I think Tamar is thinking of it, maybe. When he meets his brothers. Right. So Yaakov find when Yosef he finds out he's alive and they have their reunion he weeps on his neck there's this wonderful verse that's full of vague um, pronouns we don't know who's the he is the he who's crying on whose neck but he cries and it does seem to refer to Yaakov weeping on on Yosef's neck so it does seem to be a thing that that Yaakov does so I let you pick your own favorite idea or behind the weeping Um, But I hope that you enjoyed that exploration with me. I love that verse. I love wondering about what's going on emotionally for our characters because our Bible, our Tanakh, is it's a a book of history. It's a book of halachot, of laws. And it's also a dramatic literary experience that was, hold on to your horses, edited together in a really thoughtful way, right? It, it, it really is just a beautiful piece of story writing as well. And so it's always worthy to ask these questions and wonder, why did Yaakov weep, for example? And I invite you to ask those questions of the text, because often you'll find the commentators have something to say about it as well. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.